you see what I'm saying? So there's plenty. We could talk about this till the end of time pretty much about people encountering God. But I really felt like God drew me to an interesting collection of uh, normally I don't plan things out so far ahead. But I had most of these typed in to the computer by the beginning of this before we even started, actually. So it's it's one of them I changed, but the rest have been the same. And this was the one I wanted to do last or felt to do last. And what we're going to talk about is in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, you find an encounter where Saul, who we later know as Paul, encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's a very famous Bible story, like like Moses and like Isaiah. You've probably heard this before. We're going to go into it a little bit. And, um, and so, like I said that, our country is dealing with complicated situations. I think that we are complicated people. And when you look at a story like this, I think it helps reveal some of those complications. And it helps us to not look at ourselves or to look at those around us as monolithic, simplistic people. Like, oh, yeah. And it usually comes out like this. I'm not talking about justifying anything somebody's doing necessarily. But if you think about it, Oftentimes, not 100%, but often when someone does something you don't like, what makes you angry about it isn't exactly what they did, but it is why you think they did it. Again, it's not 100% of the time. Some things are just straight up evil all the time, and we're not going to even talk about that. What I'm saying is when somebody does something you don't like or says something you think is rude or does something like da-da-da-da, it's usually your thought of why that person did that that makes you frustrated. And you see this a lot when you have people from two different cultures come together because certain cultures have certain rules and other cultures have other rules. And then when people come and observe those rules in this culture, people are like, whoa. Because like, what you're really thinking, some, and this is all subconscious or something, you know, that you're not walking through this, is I would never do that. And you might be 100% right. Like, you never would. But you don't get all the whatever's going on over here. You see what I'm saying? You're missing this whole cultural thing. What they're doing is normal. In their culture, it's even honoring. There's we, it really gets complicated when what's honoring in one cu- culture is dishonoring in another, and then you have the, you know, that's why presidents and dignitaries and stuff have, like, people with them to be like, remember, sir, don't do this or do that, you know. And there's been examples where people have tried to be cool and screwed that up pretty bad. But, so we're looking at a guy named Saul. And just a little background, I'm going to read this from Acts 8, because we're, we're really focusing in Acts 9. But... At Acts 8, you st- it's, it's coming at the end of Acts 7 where you, the church has just started. The book of Acts is the beginning of the church as we are part of now. This is 2,000 years ago. The beginning of the church is happening in the book of Acts. You see the Holy Spirit fall on the apostles on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. They go out. They start sharing in different languages in the gift of tongues, speaking the, speaking the truth of Jesus, and it draws people, and the church is growing it's kind of great, it's kind of a mess, it's kind of the same as it is now in a lot of ways, you know. And so all of that is being resisted by some people, embraced by other people. I mean, there, it's a, there's amazing things happening. And then you have this story of a guy named Stephen who we've talked about before who is serving the Lord faithfully and gets called before the religious leaders that don't like what's going on, not the Christian religious leaders, if you will. And they say, whoa, what is this all about? He kind of rebukes them in this really long and awesome message and then they stone him to death. They literally kill this guy for believing in Jesus, all right? And you find right after that, so that's happening. And Saul, the guy we're going to talk about today, is involved in that. And so this is where I want to, I think this is a, the hymn in this, uh, the hymn in this is Stephen, okay, the guy who just got killed. So Acts 1, 
Acts 8, 1 through 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, same guy, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So that's the guy we're going to be talking about today. Now, I've given you a simple, like, background. Would you raise your hand if you think this is a good guy? Not yet. Not yet a good guy. Yeah. So it's, it's, when I talk about being complicated, we can look at this at the end of the story, like she just was, that he, his name is changed to Paul or whatever. He becomes the guy who writes so much of the New Testament. He's the, you know, of course, this is, he's a good guy. But if you were there when this was happening, you're like, no, obviously not a good guy. You need to stay away from that guy. Um, but we are complicated people. What about anything that's happening here? Do you see God going, that's the guy I want to help be a really important leader in this new church thing I've started? See how we can miss things if we're not, or we just don't, we only see in part. You see, God sees in the whole. So I've got a large chunk of scripture to read. This is the story of what happens. <sighs> Andy's not here. Marianne, would you be willing to come read this for me? I just can't read out loud that much, guys. We're going to read through this whole thing, and then um, we'll talk through it. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Thank you. So just a couple quick points, and these are going to be quick because I want to spend some time at the end. So like I said, you're going to have to, it's complicated. This is a complicated situation, and we do know how it ends. I'm going to give you the end of the story. Paul, he follows Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, and ends up writing large chunk of the New Testament. He's an incredibly important leader in the church, even today. Okay, so, um, or his work is, even, you know, you know what I mean. not alive anymore, you know. Um, but it's, it's complicated, and I need you to try to do two things at once. Try to Im- experience this story as if you're Paul, Saul, walking through this, and also experience this as if you're like everybody else, okay? And so just a few little, just a little bit of a, you know, picture here. Like, we talk a lot about the church and the disciples, the early disciples being kind of like more of the outcasts of society, which is true. Um, you know, they're not all the most educated or the most anything like that. But, like, Paul is not like that, okay, guys? He's very well connected. He's very, like, to even, like, be able to go to the, the process of going to the, the, the priest and getting these letters is not like something just normal people can do. You see what I'm saying? You've got to know people. He knows people. He also talks about it later in other books about he's pretty well educated. He is one of the elite people. He's a Roman citizen. He's a, he's a Jewish leader. He's a, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows the Bible better than all of us. You see what I'm saying? He's, he's, a, he's the guy, very much the guy, very well connected, maybe even well known. I can't, I can't speak to that specifically, but he's not like a the, – the mystery in God's hand here isn't the fact of this guy's pedigree. Like Peter's, for example. If you can tr- contrast Peter, Peter's like, this is a fisherman. And not that there's anything wrong with being a fisherman. Fisherman is good. But fisherman is typically not the rock that Je- Jesus is going to build a church on. You see what I'm saying? He, he would be, that would be like, wow, really, that guy? Okay. You know, the, that, the, the situation with Paul over here isn't like, well, God, that guy's not religiously employed. Like, that guy, this guy has certainly got the religious pedigree. And he's certainly zealous. He's killing people that he thinks are wrong. And he thinks he's right. Like, he's like, I'm serving God. I'm going to serve him so much that I'm, gonna, I'm dealing with this situation. These other guys, I'm, put, I'm putting a little bit of words in his mouth, but these other guys are too scared to deal with it. I'll deal with it. I'm going to take care of the situation. I'm going to go, I'm going to round all these people up myself. Just give me the letters. I'll go do it. So he's, he's certainly not motivated. He's certain, or he's not unmotivated. Did I say that right? right? He's, not, he's not unmotivated. He's motivated. Let's just say that. He's a motivated person. He's educated. He's well-connected. He's got money problems. He's, he's the guy. But he's a bad guy. Not the guy you want. He's definitely the enemy from these people's perspective. Because he's arresting us and killing us and approving of the killing of this really good guy that we just liked a lot. And even we laid our hands on a guy. He was serving a role. They get mad. They killed him. He's part of killing them. He wants to kill more people. Bad guy. Bad guy. They don't care how much he knows about the Bible. He's a bad guy. I don't care how right he thinks he is. And how many know, how, 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 how often 
Or have you ever experienced where you knew you were right about something and you were acting on it? Were you causing damage when you found out later? You're like, oh, man, you know. That's how to experience this as Paul. When you're over here, you go, I don't understand how God could use a guy like that. Because that's a bad guy from all objective standards, okay? But God's ways are higher than our ways. And so what happens to Paul? He's, he's doing his zealous duty to go arrest, take up bad people. Now, if you're, if you're new to the church and you're wondering, especially in a country like ours, why are they killing Christian people? Why is that even a thing? That doesn't make sense. Now, guys, look, this happens in our world today. Our court, in our country, we're fortunate to have religious freedom and are allowed to gather publicly like this and not be worried about being killed. But in other countries, they don't have that. And they will kill Christian people today. And you go, why does it matter if I personally have faith in Jesus for myself? It's because your faith in Jesus for yourself isn't real. That's not what faith, faith in Jesus affects. Like, what did we say about voting? It affects everything. And when you're saying, in the early church was saying, Jesus is Lord. We say this now, but we miss a piece of it. What most people in the world said back then is, Caesar is Lord. Does that sound similar? You see what I'm saying? They were to worship their emperor, and these Christian people are going, we're not going to do that, we're worshiping Jesus. This goes for Hebrew people and the expansion into the Gentiles and everybody else. So there's Greek people and all these people going, nah, we're not going to do that. Roman people doing this. And like, there's lists, Parthian and all these other things, you know. And so that is threatening to people who like power and control. Our faith in Jesus threatens people who like to control things. And they still try to control things today, and they cannot win. And this story proves this in my mind. Because this guy had not only religious backing, from the people who didn't like what the, the Christian church was doing. He also had, you know, legal backing because there's an interesting web relationship between, you know, the Roman. The, the Roman government isn't just, like, they have governors, and they also, but they try to work with the local people. They try to, you know, we're trying to make things good. And so he has legal authority to do this kind of stuff because it's been given through these chains or whatever. So he's good. In every way you can, like, he's good. He's handling things right. He's making things happen. But then he encounters Jesus and finds out, Probably what he thinks is like, oh, this is a really bad day for me. Because something happens, boom, there's a light and everything. And then he says, the voice, so you, that's a, that'll wake you up. You know, like to us, it's like a car bomb going off, boom. But then the, it talks and says, why are you persecuting me? That's not what you want that thing to say to you, you see. And you go, I think he's saying here, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, who are you? You know, he's saying, I know I'm not persecuting this. I, I would never do anything like that. You know, please don't hurt me. And I don't know who you are. Who are you? And then Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Two things to say in that. One, Jesus seems pretty comfortable. Like, he's not, listen, you idiot. You know, he's just, I am Jesus, his, his mere presence and announcement of himself, just like when the, he's at the tomb, or I'm sorry, in the garden um, to be arrested, and they send these guys to get him. And he's like, 
we're here to get Jesus. He's like, I am he. They're thrown to the ground by the power of that. And Jesus, again, I am Jesus. He's not worried. He's not threatened by Paul. Like, the church is really worried about what this guy is doing. They're afraid. We would be afraid, too. This guy's over here thinking he's right, and he's doing really bad things. Jesus goes, this guy doing really bad things, who thinks he's right and he's wrong, is exactly the guy I need to do things. They go, no. He says, yes, I am Jesus. This guy goes, I'm doing all these really bad things when I know I'm right. And he goes, no. <laughs> and he says, who are you again? He's I am Jesus. He's not threatened. Jesus isn't threatened by us. He's not threatened at all. He's like, I'm Jesus. And, and you know what? Um, you need to get up and go to the city because I have some things that you need to do. <laughs> Immediately, like, you know. And then there's this interesting, there's some details in here that are definitely included to be echoes from the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 10, Daniel sees a man on the shores of a river. It's like a fiery man. It's a theophany of sorts or, you know. And the other people hear it, but they can't see it. And, he, you know, and there's a lot of the same sort of thing happening here because it says, um, the men traveling with Saul stood here, their speechless. They heard a sound but did not see anyone. So that's weird. But then now Paul's blind, which is also weird. But it reminds everybody back, there's a lot of examples of God temporary blinding people. The biggest one that comes to mind to me is the story which we sing that, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know, it's the story of Elisha, and then he's like, hey, you know, my guy, the guy goes out to get water. There's an army around us, and then he's like, and he comes back, what are we going to do? And the prophet's like, God, open his eyes so you can see what's really going on. Again, not threatened, right? Not threatened, okay? And he sees the angels of heaven or whatever, and then the whole army there is blinded for a period of time. And it's intended to connect all these things together about spiritual blindness or spiritual unawareness and physical seeing, okay? These things are pushed together in both these stories that, like, you can't see what's really going on, but I can because God's helped me, so I'm asking him to help you. And then you can see what's really going on. Man, the situation is quite different. The army's still there, still a real army. The army does not go away. The army is still there. But there's a bigger, better, more important army that we get to benefit from, you see. And... God strikes these people blind to help them see that they can't see. He's striking Paul blind here so that he can see that he can't see. And this is an interesting point, I will say that this. Like a lot of people that wrestle with God end up with a limp. You've heard these kinds of things, you know. You see like Jacob and all. We talked about this recently. Um, Paul gets his, God heals him at the end of the story. I mean, Ananias comes and lays hands on him. He heals his eyesight. But there's, it's almost universally agreed upon. You can ask Kevin about this. But that, uh, that Paul's eyesight uh, is messed up, or at least gets messed up again later in life. There's a couple places where, it's funny, if you read the epistles and, like, read the beginning and end parts where they're, like, greeting each other, people, and like, there's one part where Paul's like, hey, when you come, can you bring my jacket that I left? You know, like, I need that because it's going to be cold. Stuff like that, you know. And there's a couple places. There's one where he's like, because he's dictating these things because he can't see good anymore. And then there's one where he's like, see me write this big in my own hand. And in your Bible right now, if you open it, those letters will still be capitalized just to emphasize the fact that Paul's like, look, I've dictated this whole letter because I can't see so good anymore. But this guy did it for me. And I'm going to write this part just so you can recognize that this is, in fact, coming for me. But it's big because I can't see so good anymore. 
most people, or a lot of people, scholars think that when Paul's talking about the thorn in his flesh, he's talking about his eyesight. No one specifically, it's not specifically listed, but it seems to be the most prominent thing. So, and God says to him in that time, he's like, God, take this thorn away from me. And he's like, my grace is sufficient for you. So I'm saying all that, that I think God reminds him, he reminds us that we see in part. He talks about through a glass darkly. So the faith that we have in Jesus is always in Jesus. It's not in our understanding of that, you see? Because you can easily start to not put faith in Jesus, but put faith in what I know about Jesus or how I understand Jesus. That's a very, maybe not making perfect sense, but it's the difference between me telling you, Byron loves shrimp. And I don't know if you do or not, but Byron could confirm or deny that because Byron is a real man sitting in this room. I could make up other details and we could just do this for a while. And even if I totally believe them, if they're not true, he can go, well, you know, that's kind of right, but I'm not really a Gator fan or something. I don't know. I don't know what he is. But uh, you get the point. Faith in real Jesus requires faith in Jesus is a real person. Unlike Paul, Jesus is alive now, and he might disagree with something I say or you say. You see what I'm saying? So our faith is in Jesus. It's not in an understanding of him or a thought about him or a concept we've made of him. That's making God in our image usually. So you have Paul now who's been blinded, blinded by an encounter with Jesus, which he was not expecting, and he finds out information from Jesus, which is not necessarily to him at that moment good news. Hey, boom. Why are you per- persecuting me? Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm persecuting you, scary person. Who are you? Jesus. Oh, darn. That's not who I, that's, mm, that's bad. But Jesus is like, I have things for you to do. Get up. You're going to go in here, you know. But then now you start to think about the church. The church is like, you know, there's a faithful man going about his day. He believes he's following Jesus. And God, Jesus appears to him in a vision and says, hey, you need to go pray for this guy. And you go, uh, just to be clear, are you, in fact, talking about the bad guy? And he's like, just to be clear, yes. Yes, I am. And I think that that is definitely easy to connect with because, um, again, even though we follow Jesus and even though we're part of the way, we still see in part just because Saul is over here, doing like way more zealous, maybe even than the other guy, you know, doing what he needs to do to do what he thinks is right. He's seeing in part, and it requires faith in Jesus and interaction with Jesus to understand what's going on. Well, these guys, they get it; they're following Jesus, but they still see in part. So when Jesus says, "Hey, I need you to go do this crazy thing," you go, "Yeah, see, uh, okay." And this is an interesting thing. This is what Jesus says back because he's like, "Ah, that's a bad guy, though, and I don't want to get caught up in bad guy things. He says, go. This is Jesus talking now back to him. Go, exclamation point, go. That one might be a little more. I said go, you know. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. What? This is his reaction, maybe. He says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I hear in that second part, I will show. Again, we have this connection to seeing. He's going to see. You know, like, 
don't worry, guy. He's going to get it. But he might also, you can hear this, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name, or I'll show you how much he must, you know, I'm going to show everybody. You see? Because you only see in part, but I'm going to show you the rest. Oh, my gosh. But does God sound worried about anything? No, he does not. So we have this interesting moment where Paul doesn't exactly, to, to say Paul converted is not right, I don't think. Paul does not convert. Paul is a Jewish man following a Jewish faith, and he encounters the Jewish Messiah who shows him a better way of practicing his Jewish faith. That makes sense to everyone. Now, if you want to use the word conversion, which we do, to mean, oh, I get this now, that's fine. But if you're going to use that to go, all of this stuff, you need to read the rest of the book because <laughs> that doesn't happen, okay? What happens is this man who's faithfully serving in a Jewish faith that's coming, that, that is carrying forth the Messiah who happens to be the king of the universe, God incarnate, opens up to the rest of us who aren't Jewish to be a part of the people of God, you see? Just making that note just so everybody has an understanding. Because immediately, this is what Ananias says to him when he encounters him. Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this again. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with his Holy Spirit. The book of Acts has a couple examples of people having the same vision. Because Paul has a vision of this guy coming and praying for him, and this guy has a vision of him going to do it. And he's like, ah, eh, you know, but the vision helps everybody go, okay, obviously God did that because we can't do that. You know, it happens with Peter. It happens a couple of other places. So, again, seeing. This is what, but the... Uh, The faithfulness of Ananias to embrace Saul as brother can't be overlooked in this exchange. Kayla, come on up here and we'll get started with play the music. The, um, this is a bad guy. In every way you count bad guy. And he's willing to extend the term brother to describe this man. He's trusting Jesus that, that he should do this. And he has a mission so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus is going to show him how much he must suffer for his name. And so there's no grand end to this other than two things. And I'm going to invite you to come down to, be, to pray and to be prayed for. I want to lay hands on and I want to invite if there's people that come forward, any elders that want to come lay hands on. I want to lay hands on you if you need to see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like Ananias did. Not because he's better or anything like that. Just because you need someone to lay hands on you so that you can see again 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I also want to lay hands on you to pray if you need to say brother to some people that you have not been loving or been afraid of. So I'm going to pray, and if you need to be, if you need prayer so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, please come forward. Do not be shy. Times of prayer are important parts of our faith. It does not, <laughs> it does not mean anything regarding like, oh, their life is messed up. If you think like that, you're just, I don't even know why you would, I don't even know, I don't even have time to interact with that, but if you need to see again, don't miss an opportunity for prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. So, Father, I pray that you would put an unction in us, Lord. We need to be people who see, especially people who see in times like these and see clearly who you are and see clearly your way. And, Lord, if you show us who is our brother and who is our sister and show us how much we must suffer for your name, Lord, give us faith and strength that we can do all of that with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and not be people of worry, but be people who are ready and watching for your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. I've been